I was late. I was late. Dude, your timing on that. <laughs> My timing was so poor. Uh, uh, hello and welcome to Misfits on Vinyl. My name is Spencer Stryker. I'm an actor, comedian, and one of your hosts. Uh, my name is Aaron. I am also one of your hosts. And Aaron is an actor. I sure am. Aaron is... <laughs> I've just uh, accepted this. Now, every week, I'm going to have to... I actually... I had something to bring up about your acting career. Yes. Because uh, there was a movie that you did in Toronto mm-hmm. that... We still haven't seen, and I'm I'm sad about that. <laughs> the one where you were like a door guy. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> I don't know what happened to that actually. Now that I think about it, but it was like at a bar up the street from me, and I played a door guy, and I threw somebody on the street, <laughs> and that was basically like my big break. Really? Yeah, I'd have to. I don't even remember the fucking name. I'll dude. have to pull it up. Some and, old emails. And that was a feature, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, dude, we need to find out where that is because, like, we might we might go back and find find out that that like premiered at tiff <laughs> yeah i have no idea i don't even remember the fucking name of it dude but there was like a legit camera crew and like a yeah they rented out this whole bar holy <laughs> shit yeah dude i totally forgot about that actually that's so fucking uh, funny yeah no and, and you just threw some motherfucker on the yeah dip. i played the doorman it's like <laughs> <laughs> every time well every time i've been in like a short film or a, or a movie i'm either the bad guy or the funny fat friend, <laughs> or like the bouncer. So you know, I think I've been typecasted. But. I think you've been typecasted. I think we need to break that mold. And when we do a Misfits on Vinyl movie at some point, mm. uh, because everyone big gets a movie. Yeah, eventually. it's true. I've, I've never heard of a podcast getting a movie, but we'll, you know, we could. We'll get it. Yeah, we we'll could get do it. it. Yeah. I mean, Burt Kreischer got a movie. Did he really? Yeah. I mean, Howard Stern did a movie too. That's true. Yeah. Radio show got a fucking movie. There you go. So you know what? Why can't a podcast get a movie? That's true. And we'll have you as the romantic lead. Ooh. You know what? As long as you're my my like other lead, yeah. the romantic lead. Yeah. And we have a little bit of like a like a romance scene. I think I'd that be that's happy literally what we have yeah. to do. I want a close up on your tramp stamp, actually. <laughs> <laughs> like a good thirty second close up oh, dude, on your I have tramp a stamp. Fucking great story about my tramp stamp to tell you. But uh fuck, before we get into anything, yes. I gotta First of all, our intro song by the Vitos. Yes. Uh, I'm so fucking stoked that we're going to be doing a bunch of shit with them. Like, mm. we are, A, having them on the podcast, like, right when, they're, when their album's coming out. Absolutely. Uh, we're also, uh, they, they helped promote us this week. They fucking made us that song. We want everybody that's listening to go and, like, pre-save their music. Go pre-order their fucking vinyl. Uh, they're great dudes. We're sending them stickers. They're we're all fucking mixing merch and stuff. Yeah. We're gonna have some Vito's merch on here. Once we start making shirts and yeah. panties, they're all going oh, their way. <laughs> dude, we're gonna have the best fucking merch. Wait till you see you. our G strings I'm designing. I'm dude. excited. <laughs> Spencer will be that's actually when we'll debut your trap stamp that right is, in the G strings. It'll be it'll fuck be the movie. Fuck, fuck the, the movie. movie. Yeah. It'll be when I'm wearing the G string on the podcast. Mm-hmm. The misfits on vinyl with theme sung by the Vito's. <laughs> yeah. Like over my balls. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That would be the way to do it. I think it's going to be mesh, too, so it might be a little see-through. Ooh, yeah. that's great. Uh, people still won't be able to see my pee-pee. <laughs> I, got a, I got a little nubbin. Yeah, I know you do. Little, <laughs> it's okay. You got a little tiny... You, may, you make up with it in other ways. I, I do. Yeah. I, I I can eat ass like a motherfucker. <laughs> 
facts. I know. <laughs> no, no, I don't. No, I don't. Uh, maybe I do. Mm. No, uh, uh, we have some interesting stuff to talk about besides our, you know, sexual and romantic connection. We do, and we got to get into our beers. <laughs> Holy first. crap, man! This makes me nervous. All right, so we got the Mexican hot chocolate stout by our official non-official sponsor of the podcast, Cabin Brewing. Fuego. Fuego. Which I thought it was Fago, like the <laughs> drink that ICP drinks. We need to do an ICP episode. No, we do not. We, do, we need to do an. I, Sam is agreeing with me. We need to do an ICP episode. Fucking. You would enjoy ICP. I've listened to okay. them briefly. I think I listened to one song at one point in my life. I used to deliver papers when I was a young child, and I remember distinctly listening to ICP at one point in my life. But... I I was. I, I'm not gonna lie. I was a juggalo in high school. Ooh. That was a bit of a juggalo. So this beer is eleven and a half percent. Yeah, I'm uh, fucked. <laughs> I also have a corporate comedy show t- this afternoon, so this is going to be very interesting. Is that uh, is, is, I, I'm drink. I'm going to be drinking a lot of wine at that show too. Ooh, it's thick. It, yeah, no, it's a stout. Of course, it's going to be thick. I know, but it's like extra thick. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's like it's like, a, like very thick. Oh. Anyways, All some right. things we got to talk about. I we mean, we got to cheers first. Yeah, that's true. We can't we can't do a full pop. I'm, I'm excited to Ooh. talk about what happened to me last week on the recording of the podcast. Yeah. Um. So I drive a, an old truck. It's very Berta of me to drive an old truck. <laughs> that <laughs> <okay>? is spicy. <laughs> Holy shit! I did not. I was not expecting that. Yeah, it is hot. That is hot. <laughs> <laughs> I drive an old truck, and um, it's rear-wheel drive. And it's, the parking situation around Spencer's apartment is um, becoming increasingly more difficult. Yeah. Uh, due to his landlady and to just a lot of people. He lives off of, like, the main one of the main drags downtown. Um, so people park here being fuck faces. Yeah, anyways, I parked on this hill, and I got fucking stuck. <laughs> I just kept rolling backwards. I couldn't get up and get out. And I called Spencer, and he, like, didn't answer. So I was, like, sitting in my truck for half an hour calling tow trucks and fucking, <laughs> like, trying to figure out what the fuck I'm going to do. And he answers. I'm like, hey, man, like, can I, can I come hang out? So we just hung out and, like, played Nintendo for, like, two hours while I waited on the tow truck. Dude, it was, like, three hours. Yeah, it was and, fucking long. Also, it was crazy that, like, the tow truck said they would be there within an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And then three hours later... The person behind you just fucking left. So and like, thank God, because he was like a foot away from yeah. the fuck in front of that car. Yeah, no, I was very close. I kept rolling backwards, like I threw the fucker in second gear, and I was giving him like serious gas, and no, no luck. So it's a uh, manual, right? Yeah, yeah, that that makes it. I got super too. stuck. I got super stuck, and then the funniest part is like the people that are like the dispatchers on the at the tow truck companies. They have like really good senses of humor, man. Like I. I was just fucking joking around with the lady like we, they called me when i was in here and spencer's like are you talking to your friend and i was like no it's triple a towing actually <laughs> that's like i was fucking chatting to yeah she's like well, why don't you just hang out with your friend and you guys can like you know it's like we're gonna play some nintendo she's like wicked like have fun <laughs> dude so okay did you get charged for the tow truck? yeah they charged me 75 bucks but it was gonna be like 160 so. okay well that's not as bad it still sucks but like i mean i signed up for ama thinking that they would come right away so i paid 120 bucks for ama and they're like, no, we're going to be there in 24 hours. And what I was the like, well, fuck? fuck me in the ass, dude. God, so, I, I, yeah, that insurance fucking sucks. Well, now I'm an AMA member, so at least I have, you know, if I ever get stuck on a hill again, <laughs> I can, uh, you, can you know, get out I'm assured I'm covered. Yeah, so. in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. That's fucking hilarious. Yeah, no, it was not. It was <laughs> fucking And then after you left, 
Siobhan was getting ready to go to bed and she fucking broke a glass and cut her hand. Yeah, wide open. man, that so looked nasty. We had to go to the ER and uh, I, OK, I'm going to tell this story on stage because like, fuck, dude, so much happened. That was hilarious. Like I'm sitting in the living room just playing Skyrim, just like, you know, having a, having a night. And all of a sudden I heard the loudest crash and like Siobhan started screaming. So I thought somebody like broke our back window. Like mm-hmm. I, it was it was that loud. I look over and it's like the fucking end scene of Carrie. There's just blood everywhere. <laughs> She's screaming. I'm like, fuck. So I, I run into the kitchen. I'm like, fuck. Uh, uh, what do we do? What do we do? Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, we got to stop bleeding. Uh, let's get a rag. Let's get a rag. Uh, fuck. I can't use that towel. She'll kill me. Fuck. Uh, do I need to call an Uber? No, you'll fucking you won't be able to get in an Uber. They'll fucking kill you because you fucking have blood. And then she's like, just call my parents. So I fucking call her dad. And I'm like, I'm like, Siobhan's bleeding. She's going to die. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, OK, I'll, I'll be there in a, in a minute and he, he got here like super quickly what it was really funny though is like he was like you know i was just sitting down to have a scotch and i don't really do that and then you guys called so <laughs> it ruined my fucking night <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's funny that you didn't want to call uber when i broke my ankle last year i rode an uber because sarah can't drive stick well like the fucking... only only reason is because like they either they wouldn't let us in or they would have charged us like a hundred dollars yeah. for like a uh like a cleanup fee it's Even like, though we like had stopped a, the bleeding. It's like 150 I threw up in an Uber with. Oh, it's God. It's like 150 bucks. yeah. Dude, a cab tried to charge me for uh, not my stain one time. Yeah. And uh, I was like, absolutely not. They were like, we have to pay a cleanup fee. I was like, here's $5. And I just walked away. I was like. <laughs> I threw up in this Uber, and they just dropped me off in the middle of, they kicked me out in the middle of downtown Toronto. What? And I was fucked up, dude. Yeah. And I was like, fucking, I puke all over myself. I walked home. Dude, <laughs> yeah, that's was, fucking dangerous. It was like a, like an hour and a half. Like they dropped me off in Rosedale, dude. Like fucking yeah. Wow. Yeah, on fucking Mount Pleasant Drive. Yeah, that fucking busy ass little fucking uh, whatever it is. I don't know if it's Mount Pleasant, but yeah, I walked through that park, um, fucking down through the ravine, like all the way up through St. Clair. Yeah. Dude, I yeah. okay that park, like that ravine and park, scared the shit out of me in the daytime. Imagine it at fucking two a.m., dude. Yeah, fuck <laughs> me, man. That's awful. <laughs> Why the hell wouldn't you have like walked like? Up, like, Yonge Street. No, well, I was, like, on the other side, so I had to cut through to oh. get through, get to Yonge Street. So you have to cut through either the Rosedale Park, or th- that ravine is kind of near Rosedale. Yeah, so yeah. I had to cut through there to get to, to Yonge Street. <laughs> yeah, Fuck, dude. dude. And my phone was dead, so I couldn't even fucking call another Uber. So I was totally fucked, man. Dude, that, yeah. that park is actually, like, very sketchy. Yeah, oh, it, yeah. It's, it's cool. But well, also- you walk underneath the fucking subway tracks, like the chain tracks. There, yeah. And fucking. Yeah. It was real interesting. Dude. <laughs> yeah. No, it's one of those stories where it's like in hindsight, like I definitely could have died. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like one of those like, woo, got out of that one. Thank God. <laughs> fucking hell. To be fair, I'm a big white guy, so I don't think like I have like a, you know, a bit of an advantage when it comes to nighttime walking. So. That is true. Yeah. The yeah. only thing that is afraid of you is any woman <laughs> yeah, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably i was probably creeping out more people like even though i was on a, a mission to get home i was probably creeping out people on the way there so yeah people are fucking like actually moving away from you <laughs> <laughs> that's why i didn't see anybody they're all hiding dude yeah people are turning uh, off their lights and hiding in the shadows like <laughs> <laughs> they were all fucking hiding yeah no it was uh yeah it was a, that was an interesting night um speaking of interesting nights you had one last night I, uh, oh god last night was very interesting the night before was crazy though too that's uh, what i meant yeah, yeah the yeah. night before the night before fucking oh god uh yeah uh at like three in the afternoon i got an email uh from kenny and spenny and it was like hey uh 
come open for us at the palace. 15 minutes. Fucking, uh, yeah. And, uh, dude, it was fucking sick. It was so fun. Dude, I'm so happy for you. That's fucking awesome, man. First of all, Palace was packed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it and it's funny. Like, it, it is obviously a small theater, but it felt like a small theater. Like, it felt like that same energy. Yeah. Like, it didn't feel like a, like a bar show at all or a club. Man, like, uh, I was coming out cold, though. Like, they didn't... Like, I didn't even have an intro. Like, nobody even said my name or anything. So I just come on, music stops. I pick up the mic. I'm like... Fucks up Calgary, like you know, like I'm just starting it like a fucking like cold intro or cold open. Uh, dude had a fucking phenomenal set though. Like it was so much fun. Crowd was on uh, on it. They were all in for it. Uh, afterwards at the meet and greet, like a bunch of people were coming up. They're like, dude, you were so fucking funny. I was like, hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh, a bunch of people followed. So they're probably listening to the pod. There now. you go. Uh, there you go. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was so much fun. And, uh, yeah, when I got off stage, Kenny and Spenny were both like, yeah, you did great. Uh, mm. which felt really good. So for, for people that don't know of Kenny and Spenny, they have like a, Pretty wicked show that is. I'd say it's they're they're pretty big Canadian celebrities. Yeah. It was on Showcase and it was like a, it was on CBC briefly as well. It was but, also on Comedy Central in the states. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It, I know they were on. They did some late night shows as well uh, back in the day. But they basically they were roommates. They were buddies, and they competed against each other doing ridiculous challenges. Yeah. Um, and then also whoever lost had to do like a pretty nasty humiliation. Yeah. And it would be like, it would be like who can sit on a cow the longest or like who can, uh, uh, kiss the more girls. Yeah. There's or... some, there's some regular <laughs> competitions. Like, yeah. Who can stay up the longest? Yeah. And then, then, then some of them got wacky. Like who can keep an octopus on, on their, their head, head the, the longest? longest. And Kenny would, Kenny would fuck with Spenny. All the time. So hard. Because Benny's like a very, uh, you know. Neurotic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. interesting personality. He's very, like, type A. Yeah, he was very easy to pick on, and that's kind of where the main humor of the show is. (laughs) is, Like, the fucking boxing episode, Kenny locks Benny in a closet and goes to Niagara Falls. (laughs) Uh, Benny throws his shit (laughs) on. Which is pretty good. (laughs) It's a pretty fucking awesome show. It's all on YouTube now, so if you ever want to watch it, you can watch it all on YouTube. They have the the high-def version version of it yeah it's all remastered it looks really fucking it, good. it looks really good it's super fucking funny still really funny and they their live show like they have like two hours where they banter and then also like show clips that were never seen before. Oh, that's cool and so there was some stuff that was insane one of the funniest things so comedy central tried to do a knockoff before they just picked up mm-hmm. kenny versus penny and just like you know rebroadcast it they tried to do a knockoff with Charlie Murphy and Donnell <laughs> Rawlings called Charlie versus Donnell. And it was fucking cringy. Yeah. Like, like, oh my God. Cause it, they have like a host and the host is like, as you know, each week we do a competition between the two of you, your best friends. And like, they're like breaking down basically the fucking synopsis of like every episode. Uh, yeah. Well, there's something that's charming about the Kenny versus Spenny thing is because they were actually buddies and they were actually roommates and it wasn't like a forced um, yeah. sort of connection where I know if you were trying to do that, like re remake it with, you know, two people that you cast, it would not, the, the, you know, the relationship they had and the, the way that they could push each other's buttons is fucking, yeah, it's, it's a natural thing that you can't replicate. Also, did you know it is the most uh like uh what's it called? Like when a when a network buys the rights to use an idea but not like syndicate it, mm. 
it's the most that of any Canadian show ever. Oh, that's cool. So, like, there's, like, a Colombian version, a German version, a UK version, <laughs> fucking Portuguese version, Turkish, like, everywhere. Like, there's, like, uh, uh, Chile. Chile. <laughs> where we are, the number one English-speaking music history podcast. Damn right we are. Um, yeah, like, so, so there's, like, uh, not only were they popular, but they, like, there was a bunch of shows that were exactly them that were filmed in these other countries that yeah. were very well, popular. Sh- shout out to them. Give it a watch. Um, now, should we get into the juice well, of today? Well, I got to fucking tell a story first. Before okay, we go, go ahead. Go so ahead. Uh, after the show, uh, we went like right next door to the unicorn, right? Yeah. And uh, as we're walking in, Kenny's like, yeah, like I just want to make sure there's not going to be like too many people around. And I was like, I was thinking like, oh fucking, you're fine. Like you know, I'm thinking like, it doesn't fucking matter. I'm like, yeah, like probably second floor is going to be better than the first floor. Wherever we go in, uh, he's just like the the second floor was closed, so he's sitting on the main. We're sitting on the main floor. We uh, yeah, we split a fucking thing of chicken wings. Nice. Yeah, he was like, he was like, oh, I just uh, I'm not too hungry. Do you want to just split something? I was like, yeah, I'm down for that. And I was like. Uh, he's like, what type of flavor are you like? I'm like, hot. He's like, me too. So, yeah, there you worked go. out fucking we well. Bonded. Yeah, we bonded over wings. Uh, and I gave him a tag for their, their show, like for their live show uh, over that too, which I was really proud of. Uh, but then we're sitting there eating, and I, I, out of nowhere, this chick just runs up, and she's like, oh, my God, Kenny, oh, my God. And she starts just, like, talking to him while he's eating. And he's just like – He's, like, being super polite, and then he's like, listen, like, I'm just eating right now. Like, can I just, like, yeah. I'll, I'll come say bye to you guys before I go, but, like, I just want to, you know, eat, you know, in peace, mm-hmm. basically. And he was super nice about it, and I was like, dude, that is the fucking, like, I've never seen that happen with <laughs> anyone else. Like, I've, I've hung out with, like, like Christian Slater, Jim Jeffries, fucking, uh, you know, Daniel Weber, like, all these, like, mm-hmm. bigger names. I've never, never happen, seen eh? that fucking happen. Well, there you go. And I think part of it's because, like, He's a Canadian celebrity, so I think people are maybe like, oh, he's approachable. But, like, <laughs> the fucking, like, running up and, and talking to someone when they're eating, I was just like, what the fuck is happening? Like, <laughs> yeah, that is man. so weird. <laughs> and then this other chick just randomly sat down and, like, had no idea who he was, uh, like, it turns out. But she was just like, oh, my friend said that he's famous. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? And, like, and, like uh, yeah, then she talked about her tramp stamp, and I cut her off, and I was like, listen, I have a better tramp stamp. I don't care what you have to say. Mm. <laughs> and then she also uh, kept saying things that made me feel very old. Nice. She referred to Blink-182 as classic rock. Ooh. <laughs> that fucking hurt my soul. Uh, she also said, though, I just kind of do what, like, anybody tells me to do. And I was like, mm, you probably shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, then, you probably shouldn't <laughs> express that out loud. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to run into the wrong guy. Uh, yeah. Tell you what. Yeah. It was it was cringe. Yeah, I feel you. Very cringe. I'm cringing on the inside for you. Dude, I feel it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the meat and bones. Let's do it. The meat this and is, This is a special episode because this is what I actually wrote myself. Yeah. So there Aaron we go. Did all the <laughs> I did all the work. Episode. I did. I did all the work for once. And full disclosure, I've only listened to the album once all the way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have listened to uh, <clears throat> the single of Fuckton from this one. Yeah. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna carry the weight this time. That's okay. Uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'll fucking deal with it. You know, it's okay. You know what? That's kind of what you have to do because I'm becoming a big celebrity yeah, now. Yeah, I know. Spencer Stryker, professional opener. <laughs> Spencer Stryker, <laughs> almost famous. Almost famous. <laughs> now I can walk into rooms at parties and Which go. actually, <laughs> it's funny, ties into this because the drummer of this band dated Drew Barrymore. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, well, as you can tell, the album this week is... 
<laughs> it's the strobe. The new abnormal. The new abnormal. We do not Woo. actually possess a copy of this. But it's album. great because Sam has to track this. So <laughs> Sam's I'm, gonna try to try to do this I'm all doing in post. As many, as many yeah. circles as I can before he try, gets try to flip at it me. back and forth a couple times Woo. too. Yeah, making it very difficult on Woo. him. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so this is the uh, Strokes sixth studio album this is their sixth studio album it was released april 10th of 2020 of 2020 through cult and rca records yes sir and it was produced by the legendary rick rubin yes which i don't know if you know who rick rubin is i do you do because <laughs> i wrote this episode and i do know him you do know him i know him too not personally but mm. almost because i'm i'm almost famous yeah, you're almost famous you're almost, almost famous yeah. uh so he's a pioneer of like hip-hop metal uh, fucking honestly pop like pop he, music, he hits yeah. everything he's done um, some country albums yeah and uh uh y- you know who he's worked with <laughs> i know well, tell me spencer <laughs> ll cool j he sure has our run dmc mm-hmm. best beastie boys yes bestie boys yeah slayer <laughs> that's that's the bestie boys <laughs> slayer yeah. public enemy yeah danzig yeah the red hot chili peppers yes jay-z yes tom petty yes Johnny Cash. He has. Nine Inch Nails. Yes. Connection there. Yeah, I know. System of a Down. That's why I put it in that order. <laughs> System of a Down, yeah. Aerosmith. Mm-hmm. Sheryl Crow. Yep. Slipknot. Yeah. Justin Timberlake. He did. Lil John. Yeah. Weezer. Lil John. <laughs> Lil John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Weezer, yeah. Audio Slave. Yep. The Chicks. I'm yeah. assuming the Dixie Chicks. That's, yeah. Yeah. I just went with their politically correct name. You too. You too, yeah. Unfortunately, you too. <laughs> Metallica. Yeah. Kid Rock. Mm-hmm. Adele. Mm-hmm. ZZ Top. Yes. Black Sabbath. Yes. Kanye West. Kanye West, yes. Imagine Dragons. Yes. M- Eminem. Mm-hmm. Who? Lady Gaga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Ed Sheeran. Yes. Cat Stevens. Mm-hmm. Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Billy Talent. Yes. No. Yeah. Did they? Did they, he? They think so. No, I didn't see it on his list when I went through it. Barbara one person, one person he did work with that you'd like. He worked with the Dice Man, Andrew Dice Clay. The Day the Laughter Died. That's produced by Rick Rubin. What? Yeah, and his, and his album, his comedy album before that, is also produced by Rick Rubin. Really? Yeah. So Rick Rubin has had his toes in a little bit of everything. So you're saying that I could get an album produced by Rick Rubin? Um, I mean. There is a chance. Uh, it's very, 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 very slim. But I'm sure there is one of these timelines. There is one where Rick Rubin is like, oh, Spencer, let's remake The Day the Laughter Dies. I mean, I would do that. You're funny as a glass of milk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, that's an awesome album. Everybody give it a listen. But yeah, I, I, you mentioned to me before this episode that you were looking for a list. So I added one in for you. It's not as organic as they usually are. Yeah. But I did put a list because Rick Rubin has worked with so many incredible people. Katy um, Perry. I don't think he's worked with Katy Miley Cyrus. <laughs> no. Taylor Swift. No. <laughs> you keep trying, but like I literally gave a list of like fucking 50 fucking artists. <laughs> I feel like you can you can let it rest. Jay-Z. Yeah, he did work with Jay-Z. Yeah, it was on the list actually, believe it or not. Yeah, he did 99 Problems with Jay-Z. Blake Shelton. I don't think Blake Shelton, no. Pharrell Williams. Um, That one I'm 
can't confirm or not confirm. That's a tough one to say. I don't think he has. Bruce Springsteen. No. <laughs> okay. Fucking move on. Come on now. Motley Crue. <laughs> uh, no. The silence is deaf. Glass Tiger. <laughs> Yeah, that's on the list. <laughs> you guys, I literally went, like, picked the biggest names on the fucking list. Like, you're not going to get more fucking thorough than what I did. Took me, like, a good 15 minutes. Who did I miss? He did a song for a South Park movie. Yeah, he Ooh, did do South Park movie. he did the South yeah, Park movie? Yeah, he did. And he did the Christmas special as well. Ooh, yeah. shit. Yeah. Okay. What was the song <laughs> on the South Park movie? I think he did the movie soundtrack. He helped with the movie soundtrack. Wait, really? Yeah, you produced the album. Yeah. Oh, shit. So he's an Oscar nominee. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Winner. Yeah, there you go. He won an Oscar? Didn't they win? No, they only got nominated. They only got nominated, yeah. Yeah, no, fucking, uh, 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 uh I think Titanic won that year for the uh, 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 original song. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it was uh, uh, Céline da- Dion. Yes. Céline <laughs> Dion. Okay. Um, but he produced this Strokes album, which is pretty fucking cool. Yeah, and it was primarily recorded between 2017 and 2019 at Shangri-La Studios in Malibu, uh, with additional recording that took place in Hawaii and in studios in L.A. County. Uh, now, the... Uh, uh, the studio that they were in in L.A. was built in 58 and originally... Uh, was a ranch property, but in the 70s it was converted into a studio with Bob Dylan's exact specifications in mind and then sold to Ruben. Yeah, in 2011 he bought it. That's fucking crazy. Um, and there's, I mean, there's a big history of a lot of artists that have recorded in there, but this specific one, it was a ranch uh, that was owned by, I forget the name of the actress, but she was uh, um, like a Mexican, Spanish, no, Spanish, Spanish accent, actress in the 1950s. Selena Gomez? <laughs> yeah, it was Selena Gomez, actually, you're right. Uh, the Wizard of Waverly Place from 19. 19- 1955 um <laughs> spring breakers 1959 yeah <laughs> with chet baker as the lead yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a much better movie um but yeah recorded mainly in the studio um in malibu which was which was cool it was their first album in seven years um from come down machine which was released in 2013 and they kind of took a big break um, i remember what i wrote so mm-hmm. i'm kind of filling the, the gaps here but they um yeah, they took a big break because, first of all, they couldn't get along, <laughs> and then they also like <laughs> uh, had a lot of solo projects, and they were doing a lot of tours, um, uh, doing festivals, headlining festivals at the you know the start of that decade. So yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, question. Yes. How successful were their solo projects? Uh, n- well, this is actually a fun fact. So anytime <laughs> the Strokes get booked at a festival, Julian Casablanca is in their contract required to Strokes to 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 um have his other band perform. Oh God! So the his voids, other band must suck. The Void. So anytime he the Strokes perform anywhere. The Voids also have to perform. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and some of their other stuff, the guitarist, uh, Valencia's got like a, like a metal project, and I'm not really sure about the other guys' solo work, um, but The Voids is probably the biggest out of them all. And then Casablanca's is like actual stuff he's done on his own. Like he was a producer on Random Access Memories, Daft oh, Punk. Oh, shit. And he he's features a song on that, um, Instant Crush, and he's worked with The Lonely Island and um, – Pharrell and a couple other big artists. So his collaboration work is probably much more popular and successful than his other band mm-hmm. and his solo stuff itself. So, so you know what I think is really crazy? 
I don't know if people have connected the dots yet on how we've connected each episode to each other. <laughs> yeah, it's been a real thorough plan. We've it, it's put been a real it. thorough plan. Yeah, it's been our plan from the start. Yeah, no, <laughs> definitely. Um, okay, so mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to the album. Yeah. So it, the, the new Abnormal is generally considered an indie rock album having elements of 80s pop music, glam rock, dream pop, new wave post-punk, and electronica. Um, what I think is really funny is it was definitely noticeable that they were using a lot of fucking weird synth beats in there. Yeah. Like they were just like, like wavy fucking things. Uh, what's it called? Bad decisions. Mm-hmm. That, that song had a lot of it. That's the same with the last song on the album. Uh, oh, to the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. A fuck ton of synth on those. Mm-hmm. My there, God. There's, um, so I think at the end here, I mentioned it, but they actually had to give writing credits to two artists from the eighties because they, directly ripped off like they they gave it to them when they released the album but um making bad decisions is dancing with myself uh oh. like literally copied the course for that so billy idol has a writing credit on that generation x i guess has a writing credit on that wow uh, and then the other one uh eternal summer i forget the name of the band that they took elements to the melody in the course from as well so they've kind of copy and pasted some of the sound that they were directly drawing inspiration from that's really a couple songs yeah fucking crazy yeah yeah very interesting um yeah but they kind of stay true they do stay true to their sound as well because the strokes are kind of known for like these dueling guitars is kind of one of the main things of their sound um and that is included in the album they have two guitarists and then a bass player and a drummer um so the two guitarists kind of play back and forth oh <laughs> I sloppy poppy. You slopped on your pants. I slopped on my pants. Slopped on your um, pants. But yeah, so it's uh, it's got some dueling guitars, and it kind of stays true to their sound. Um, you could probably, sk- I think, I touched everything I wrote. Uh, yeah, the only thing that you uh, did not touch on these are these are two things. The album also includes a series of outtakes of studio uh, charter interspersed throughout the album. Yeah, uh, and then many of the lyrics of the album are thought to refer to Casablanca's divorce from his wife Juliet Jocelyn. Mm-hmm. So, who the fuck is his wife? I don't know. I think she was a model. Tough to say. Um, but it does. He does talk about it. It's it's not confirmed that he's talking about his wife, but also that he talks in the. I know in the adults are talking. He's talking uh, about like the perception of the band. Um, because when they first came out, like Casablanca is from a really rich background, and same with Hammond Jr., uh, one of their guitarists. Uh, his dad is a famous musician, so they were kind of viewed as like kind of phonies. Is his dad in Metallica? No, no, he's in. Um, he's a singer songwriter. I can't remember what song he wrote, but he wrote a couple. He's got crow like co writing credits on a crow writing. He's got crow writing. He crow worked writing. with Sheryl Crow. Yeah, I don't think he did. Um, but did he, Rick Rubin work with Sheryl Crow? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I put that on the list. <laughs> um, Shania Twain. No. Uh, but George Strait. The, he worked with the Strokes, so let's <laughs> fucking talk about it. Um, anyways, I'm losing my train of thought. Uh, anyways, they were from, on the adults are talking, They he's talking about how they were perceived as, you know, being these guys, from, they're New York rock band, um, but the two of them come from very privileged backgrounds, and they were kind of perceived as phonies because they kind of, you know, we're living this rock and roll lifestyle. They were dirty and grungy and stuff like that, but they were from, you know, really rich families. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the, some of the topics as well as how they're perceived and how they, you know, people look at the band then and now um, mm-hmm. where they're at now. So that's kind of some of the also additional content. To the well, album. and it's funny because like I had, I, I know so many of their songs, but I have to say this was the first time I actually listened to a strokes album mm. because like they were, 
played fucking everywhere. And like, I mean, like last night is in almost every single TV show in the mid 2000s. Yeah. And there's, they got a <clears throat> ton of songs. I mean, I'm a big fan of the strokes. Like I like them so much. Like I kind of want to have a stroke. Like, <laughs> 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 like it's on my bucket list now. Uh, no, uh, I'm a big fan of them. Obviously. That's why I, I kind of took the reins on this episode, but, um, you know they're they're a pretty iconic band, and if you let's get into about them, yeah, yeah, I do talk about that quite a bit about who they have influenced and how their sound was kind of a part of a revival of rock and roll music in the early two thousands. Yeah, so you kind of touched on this because they're from New York, formed in nineteen ninety eight. They were the leading group of the early two thousands indie rock revival, uh, famous for their garage rock sound, and they were often paired with the White Stripes as pillars of garage rock's popularity at the time. Funny enough, I think they've held up better than the White Stripes. Mm -hmm. um, the White Stripes, I, I feel like, you know, uh, apart from the one song that's like boom, boom, boom. Yeah, Seven Nation boom, Army. Boom, and they have, um, what's the other one? Boom. Fell in love with a girl. Boom, 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 that one too. Boom, 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 boom. Boom, 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 boom. Boom. We're gonna cut you off. Boom, no. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> the Seven Nation Army gonna hold you back. Close enough. <laughs> All right, fucking stick to the program. I'm gonna fucking murder you. You're being so fucking annoying today. I'm gonna fucking kick your ass. <laughs> okay. Uh, oh, God. It's <laughs> okay. I wrote a lot, so fucking read it. Jesus, I'm gonna fucking murder you. <laughs> Lead singer songwriter Julian Casablancas, guitarist Nick Valenci, and yes. drummer Fabrizio. Yeah, Fabrizio. Come Fab. Fab uh, Moretti. Uh, they started playing together as teenagers while attending Dwight School in Manhattan. Uh, and then they formed an informal band in 1997. They later added bassist Nikolai uh, Fratur to their ranks, a close childhood friend of Casablanca's. At the end of 1998, the group in, uh, invited guitarist Albert Hammond Jr. to play with them. They had then moved to New York. Uh, uh, he had just moved to New York and reconnected with Casablanca's. They were old friends when uh, they went to school in Switzerland. Together. Yeah, they went to private school. They went to Swiss. private school. In <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. They're fucking rich fuckers. Wow. Yeah, it's Casablanca's got sent to Switzerland to improve his grades. Oh wow. <laughs> fucking imagine. Yeah. It's that... like, oh, I went to New York to Geneva. Oh, <laughs> really taught me a lesson. <laughs> it's like, holy fuck, dude. Get your act together, or else I'll send you to the Bahamas. <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll what send you to fuck? a neutral country with Al with like Alp Mountains and fucking you know hot women. Yeah, and, <laughs> that'll teach you. And, and also, like, a booming, bustling economy. Yeah, that'll teach you. That'll teach you. <laughs> oh, look at this very, very elegant And for backdrop. Christmas, for Christmas, I'm going to buy you an Omega instead of a Rolex, and that'll teach you. <laughs> that'll teach you a good lesson, Julian. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. That's so funny. Okay, so in the following two years, the band practiced and performed tirelessly in New York City. Uh, many of their contemporaries have credited the band's early success to their dedication and hustle. They practiced most nights and with many rehearsals taking place in the music building in Midtown Manhattan. They played their first show as The Strokes on September 14th, 1999 at The Spiral. Uh, they soon frequented Manhattan's rock clubs, including Hi-Fi Bar and the Luna Lounge on the Lower East Side of New York, and later Manhattan's popular Mercury Lounge. Mm -hmm. What I love about that is that their like hard work and dedication is what really made them pop. Yeah, and then following that, like, um, so they they really went hard 
performing and practicing and getting sharp. Um, and then they started writing music and then they wrote this EP. Um, I forget the name of it. I think I wrote it down, but it had a four track EP and it blew the fuck up. Um, last night was included on it. Um, mm-hmm. and it, they sent it to, uh, I forget the name. If, I, if you find it, read it. Yeah. Yeah. Me. Uh, so it was the modern age EP. Yes. Oh God, sorry. I just I lost the mouse and I That's okay. was panicking for That's a second. Okay. That's okay. Uh, so in 2000, they began working on the demo of the Modern Age EP. Band sent the demo to the newly reformed Rough Trade Records in the UK, sparking interest there and leading to their first release last night. The EP sparked a bidding war amongst record labels, the largest for the rock band in years. They inked a deal with RCA Records, and shortly after their first release, uh, began working on a full-length album. This is it. Now, what's really crazy about that, it makes sense that they would, like, pop off in the UK Mm because they have a very UK sound. Yeah, so this, so it was actually the, so last night was released um, on the music publication website NME. Um, They gave a free download to that track. Wow. Um, And it sparked this huge huge uh like fight to get them to sign a record deal with all these different record companies um it was like a big big deal at the time they had so much hype um to write you know to to sign a record like it's almost unheard of you don't hear about that anymore um you know somebody releases a demo and then like it's big big news and yeah record labels are all over it It was a big story you know they had a ton of hype behind them and they signed with rca and they write is this it and it's a massive hit a Dude, massive, massive hit. Yeah. So in 2001, they wrote that record. And, you know, it's one of the most iconic records of, of that time period in rock and roll music. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think Rolling Stone named it number 10 of their um, debut, like top 10. Well, top, I think it was top 50 debut albums of all time. It ranked number 10. Wow. Um, it completely, like, injected a new sound into, you know, the indie rock scene and kind of made rock music more popular, which in the years following, you get bands like The Killers, mm. you get the Arctic Monkeys, you get Franz Ferdinand, Kings of yeah. Leon, that kind of make this popular rock music. It all kind of stems from that time when they popped off with this album. Well, and also, like, at the time, it was either that or, like, Nickelback and Creed type yep. shit, right? So, like, it, you realistically, you had, like, two sounds of rock mm-hmm. that were that were becoming really popular at the time. Um did not cross over at all, though. No. Like, no. which is insane. Because mm-hmm. now you, like, if you listen to, like, rock, like, radio or, 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 like, alt radio or anything, there's so much fucking crossover amongst, like, different yeah. styles. Back then, though, my God, there was not. No. No, and this was something I'd say that was fairly unique for the time as well. Like, there wasn't a lot of bands making this style of music. It's kind of got a raw element to it. Like, a lot of their music sounds rough and raw on the edges. Um, but that's kind of the appeal of it as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but this album in 2001, I mean, is, is, is a, it is a smash smash hit. Um, they began touring like fucking internationally. They're big, big in the UK. Um, I mean, they, they opened for the Rolling Stones. I think I wrote this in as a joke, Jesus. but they opened for the Rolling Stones on like their 15th retirement tour in 2001. Uh, yeah. But they, on their North, uh, the North American leg of the tour, they opened for the Rolling Stones. Like this shot them right to fame. They were big in Australia, the UK, Europe. Like this was a big moment for the band. Um, so they release this album and everything kind of changes for them. That's fucking crazy. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, uh, <clears throat> released in October of 2001, is this it shot the band to international fame, peaking at number two in the UK, number five in Australia and number 33 in the U S tracks such as last night, someday and hard to explain getting regular airplay. 
In retrospect, the album is viewed as massively influential on the rock scene, especially in the UK. We touched on this. In 2011, Rolling Stone named it number 10 on their list. We touched on that. The band began touring with uh, getting fame in the U.S., performing with uh, on the talk show circuit. Uh, So they were doing, like... Uh, the Late Show. Yeah, they were doing Conan and Letterman, Letterman and Leno. And Leno? And, yeah. Carson yeah. Uh, Daly? Possibly. <laughs> no, I've never watched Adam that Carolla. show. Adam uh, Maybe. I've never watched that Jimmy either. Kimmel? Uh, I don't know if he was on at that time. Daily Show? Uh, no, I don't think that was on either. Eric Andre? Nah. I don't think they did. No, I was just listing more things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, they were on. A, they were on TV. Um, um, okay. <laughs> to get to the point, yeah, they were on TV. <laughs> <laughs> so, following the success, uh, the success, the success, following the success of their debut album, mm-hmm. the band released "Room on Fire" in 2003 uh, with the standout single "Reptilia," which I fucking love that song. Uh, although the album received positive, uh, okay. Although the album received positive reviews, many critics panned its similarities to their debut album, citing a lack of growth from the group. Uh, it wasn't nearly the same commercial success as its predecessor. Which I hate when people say that because, like, I I feel like, uh, you know, okay, if we were looking at like an artist like say Kanye, and like, mm-hmm. not that I'm like I don't want to keep bringing him up, but I'm I'm going to for the sake of like. His first two albums, first three albums sound exactly the fucking same, and nobody's going to bitch about that. Mm. Graduation and College Dropout are the fucking same album, just with different beats. I, I feel like I disagree, but that's a time. That's for another time. I fucking just... That's for another time. I no, feel like I disagree. No, but I'm saying, like, I feel like there's... Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't want to mention. I don't want to mention him anymore, as I as I previously said. I know. Uh, I know. I'm sorry. I brought him up. That's okay. Even though, even though, yeah, Taylor Swift's first three albums do sound the same. Even though it's very hard because he dropped a song on his Instagram and it was actually really good. <laughs> and I listened to it. And I was like, oh fuck, dude. It's like uh, easy. I really liked when that song came yeah, out. Yeah, it was really good. And I was like, why? Do you, like when you open your mouth, to, your mouth to make music, it's so good. But when you open your mouth to fucking say anything else, it's terrible. Yeah, uh, you know what? He's uh, one of those people that just needs to uh, not be able to talk. Yeah, people need to stop giving him. Interviews. Yeah, but it's clout. You know, yeah. That's how it works. Okay, so in 2005, the band released First Impressions of Earth, which to date is the worst performing album commercially and critically. Although they attempted to evolve their sound, it was met with mixed reviews. So you can't fucking win. Critics are cops. Literally, I put a quote in there about Fuck that. Read the, quote, read the quote that Casablanca said Casablanca's about Casablanca's quoted saying, with Room on Fire, people were giving us shit because they said that we were sounding too much the same. With the third album... Uh, we were getting shit that we don't sound like Room on Fire. We got fucked the same thing twice. Yeah, that's bullshit. Yeah. No, fuck that. Yeah, you got they, like he literally summed it up perfectly. They got fucked by the same thing twice. I don't think this is a bad album either. Um, there's a couple really good songs on it. Um, uh, but I get, I get like what their frustration. Um, it totally makes sense. Like they were fucking. They sounded too much the same. Now they don't sound enough like the Strokes. Um, this is kind of where they started incorporating more synths and things like that in their music. Um. But I, I don't think it's a bad album. It just wasn't successful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, no, that's but like fuck that. That yeah. that annoys me. Uh, this album does not have this. Uh, uh, does have some classic Strokes tunes such as "You Only Live Once" and "Heart in a Cage." The band toured extensively in 2005 to 2007 with Casablanca, uh, stating to fans, "Once the tour was complete, they would be going on hiatus." In 2007, they announced that they needed a break. 
infighting, substance abuse, conflicting solo projects, long tours, and the nature of Casablanca's meticulous creative process led to the hiatus. I love this part of every band. Mm-hmm. The infighting. Let's get into it. Yeah, so um, I do, I think on there, so they took a five-year break. Um, and I do touch on this later on in the, what I wrote, but basically Casablanca wrote the first three albums mm-hmm. and each of the other members of the band got one writing credit on each of the albums. Wow. So he was like a bit of a control freak and he was very, very difficult to deal with. Very, very meticulous about what he wanted. Um, so that caused a lot of issues within the band. Um, you know, that he was so intense and, you know, very <laughs> non-compromising. So he was a camper? Yeah, I guess so. Because yeah. he was intense? Yeah. I heard, I got it. I just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he, he so I think as a quote I put when uh, they get to 2011, when they come back um, it, with angles, they kind of talk about how miserable it was making music together. Okay, yes. Yeah. So after a five-year hiatus, they returned in 2011 with Angles. Standout track, uh, Under the Cover of Darkness. Album once again received mixed reviews from fans and critics alike. Well, now the fans are also mixed. What yeah. the fuck? Uh, it, they can't win. Uh, the main criticism uh, that the band was not a cohesive unit. It was heavily inspired by the Velvet Underground's 1970 uh, record, Loaded. Uh, Enemy is quoted saying it lives up to its name by... Coming at you from some very obtuse places. <laughs> I like that quote because it's named Angles. So That's be fucking yeah. great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in a 2020 uh, Guardian article, the band discussed this time period. A low point was reached with 2011's Angles, a labored album that sounded as if it was made by a band who did not want to record it at all. Which, reading between the lines of what Casablanca says, is not that far from the truth. We weren't in harmony. We were contractually bound to a band that is now limiting to our personal lives. I guess it's not that controversial, really. Uh, there was conflict, uh, and there was fear, and we got and we got through it, and we made records. But it wasn't, you know, out of pure brotherly love and musical inspiration. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of lines to read through there. It kind of fucking spells it out for you. Yeah, yeah, it's like we're contractually bound <laughs> to be a band, and it's not it's not good for us, and we're making like music that doesn't inspire us. Yeah, which I feel like a lot of bands get into that place, and it sucks. Like reading that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, much of this conflict came from his controlling nature, as we've talked about. Um, uh, Casablancas looked back on this, saying, "I think wanting to be in charge and wanting something to be good." are different things. One is about selfishness. The other is about something objective. Is this person just an egomaniac wanting control or is this someone who can actually make it better? And that's just life. Well, I kind of like picked that quote specifically because it still kind of makes him sound like a fucking douchebag. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, honestly, you can be good at anything and still be an egomaniac. Mm hmm. Like we're really good at podcasting. Yeah, we're the well. <laughs> we're the we're the top music history podcast. English English speaking music history <laughs> podcast in Chile. Yeah, and you don't hear us telling people how they need to do their yeah. podcasts. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the infighting we have behind the scenes though is it's incredible. pretty insane. It, yeah. it 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 is rivaling. <laughs> 
uh, Tim Dillon and Ben Avery yeah. is really rivaling them. But I will say that we're better than Joe Rogan. So that's that. true. Yeah, we get off the mic and we fist fight. That's so true. Basically, every time we hit up the fight, <laughs> I take my shirt off and we just start scrapping. Dude, we oil each other up <laughs> yeah. too beforehand. Oh, yeah, that's just for pleasure that's um, <laughs> well, yeah. and the only fans yeah and the only fans all right coming soon uh okay so in 2013 they released uh come down machine uh decided to do zero promotion for the album due to the infighting it did not perform fantastically although the reviews were favorable averaging 68 percent on metacritic they continued touring and headlining festivals in the u.s and europe they quietly released a four-track ep in 2016 called Future, present, past on Casablanca's label Cult, and they began a tour of South America in 2017, playing to 90,000 people in Argentina at Lollapalooza. After this tour, the band stopped performing for two years, returning in 2019. Mm-hmm. So, they fucking tour South America, they do Lollapalooza, they're having a fucking awful time doing it, though. Oh, I'd say so. Yeah, it's, um. I mean, they do kind of... I think they they're they're they mend it up with this current album, which is one of the reasons why I picked it, because it actually feels like they're back to form. But they were having a really tough stretch for a long time. So, like, I mean, from probably 2007 forward, like they were not happy being a band mm. um, and they were not happy making music together and they were not happy touring together. And it showed. Um, and I mean, some of it also comes from them having like some serious substance abuse problems. Um, I think I touched that on the end, like Casablancas was an alcoholic. Um, his manager is quoted to say, saying is like, he, and heroin addiction and heroin. Um, can you read the quote from his manager? Yeah. Uh, he said that he was a drunken nightmare to society as a whole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And then the guitarist Hammond Jr. I mean, he said he was going in between injecting her- uh, cocaine and, uh, cocaine. Cocaine, ketamine, heroin, and cocaine. <laughs> he would go back and forth from doing ketamine, injecting himself with ketamine, and then injecting himself with cocaine, and then going back to going to heroin, and then going to fucking cocaine. I don't again. understand why people like ketamine. I've never done it. I have only okay. I've done it twice. Uh, once because uh, it was given to me in the hospital. Did you K-hole? Dude, I fucking keyhole hard. Yeah. They they were like, think happy thoughts. I had a broken femur. I was like, that's not <laughs> happening. And they fucking shoot me full of ketamine. And then I looked at my doctor. He had six fucking eyes. His face turned purple. And then my mom was like, it's okay. And she's holding my head, looking down at me. And her tongue rolled out of her face. And a car drove down it. And then I was sitting in the car. And I was like... Why do people do drugs? Because I was like 14 at the yeah, time. Yeah, people, people, for some reason, it's really popular in, in the UK and Ireland. Dude, but I don't cocaine know. Cocaine is really popular over there, too. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is about, like, the UK. Well, that's true. Yeah. But it's really, like, I mean, I don't know. A lot of people, the people I've met that are from that region in the world like to do cocaine. Dude, so. fucking, the people that are, like, absolutely crazy about ketamine, though. Yeah. They're weird people. I'd say so, yeah. They're always weird. <laughs> they go to Shambhala, fucking... dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if we can technically call that a music festival. It's like, it's <laughs> hang out with hippies in the forest. And do drugs. <laughs> yeah. That'll cost you $800. No. <laughs> okay, so speaking of the UK, band has a much bigger influence mm-hmm. in the UK yeah, and what... than they do at home. Exactly, and that's one of the, the weird, US. weird thing about them. They're really popular in the UK, and they actually like directly inspired one of the best rock bands of the recent, like probably 10, 15 years, the Arctic CKY? Monkeys. Oh. No, Arctic Monkeys. <laughs> 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 the Arctic Monkeys, like in, in um, their mo- one of their most recent albums, like he 
literally sings like I just wanted to be a member of the Strokes. <laughs> like, oh, that's so dope. So like he Alex Turner saw them in 2003 and like it was a really big influence on their I music. I said I bet that you look good on the dance mm-hmm. floor. I'm not looking for anything romantic. Like if you think I don't if you look at their looking for if you look at their early stuff in the early like 2000s uh, well, 2005 well, I think their first big album was 2006 but they sound very similar to the Strokes same yeah. sort of deal so they were directly inspired by them and they also inspired the Killers and Kings of Leon like I said like other bands quote the Strokes and especially their first album is a main inspiration for them to be making music and making that style of music and also their first album the album art is so fucking cool mm-hmm. like the 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 ladies uh side figure with yeah. the hand on her bum with the leather glove. Oh, that's what, a fucking one fun, iconic one. One fun thing, thing about that album, too, is they they talk about it. They were completely drunk when they wrote and recorded that album. Really? <laughs> yeah, they said they were drunk the whole time. They were just drinking. They said they had they were drinking a lot of alcohol, and they were extremely focused. It's the quote. Wow. Yeah. So they were fucking hammered, and they wrote arguably their best album. So That's insane. Up to this point, at least. Um Anyways, that's super fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's like really nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so loadable track lists and singles. Mm-hmm. Let's fucking get into this. My favorite song, "The Adults Are Talking." Yep, I didn't even know that was a Stroke song. It was in my like, uh, I, I when I started listening to the album and that came on, I was like, oh, I fucking know this. Song. Yeah, that's the first one on the album. It's an awesome fucking tune, and it blew up on TikTok mm-hmm. and everything else. My my god, that actually that that. That song fucking blew up. It's a really good song. One of my favorite Stroke songs of all time. Selfless, At the Door, Bad Decisions, At the Door Again. Sorry. Ode to the Mets. <laughs> Why Are Sundays So Depressing? Uh, I Yeah, I, I I like all these songs. Ode to the Mets, I think, is really funny because it, it sounds like the end song of an album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like At the Door quite a bit, and I think Why Are Sundays So Depressing. It might be my favorite song on mm-hmm. the album. I really, really like that track. Um, those are kind of at the door. The dolls are talking, and um, why are Sundays so depressing? Were kind of my three standout tracks when I first listened to the album when it first came out. Uh, my brother actually sent it to me because uh, I I didn't even know they were fucking dropping an album. He just sent it to me. He's like, "Hey, listen to this new Strokes album." Like the day after it dropped. Oh shit! And I had nothing to do because yeah. at the time there was fucking COVID. There was COVID. Yeah. So and you know what? What a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> <laughs> I like it when a lot of people die. Uh, no. That's that's a George Carlin album. Uh, that's actually a title of a George Carlin album. It's called I Kind of Like It When a Lot of People Die, and it was supposed to be released on September 12th of 2001. <laughs> and then they had to prolong the release, and it never got released, and then it got released during the pandemic, mm. which is super funny. I think the whole 9-11 thing, now that you said that, is just tied into the promotion of that album. I think that was planned. I think so, too. Yeah, for George Carlin. It was a, it was a, it was an inside job by George Carlin. Yeah, <laughs> nothing to do with the U.S. government or Dude, terrorism. That's the only time he bombed. Yeah, <laughs> uh. that was actually good. You know, that was a good one. I give that to you. Um, but yeah, the I mean, the, the I think a good chunk of these tracks are are really good. The like my main criticism I'm going to jump ahead is like bad decisions. This is not a good song. It was a bad decision putting that song on the album. I do not like it. It's, I I actually didn't mind that song. Making bad decisions. It's like yeah, yeah. I know, but it, it you know what? Okay, what I would say is that it kind of reminds me of like older Strokes shit. Mm. I think it reminds me of Dancing With Myself, because it's the exact hook. Yeah, okay, yeah, fair. Yeah, it, fair. It, uh, it didn't do anything for me. That's the only song like I really I didn't like on the album. 
Um, that's the only one I don't 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 love. No, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so should we get into the reception? Yeah, let's get into the reception. All right. They received their first Grammy nomination for the new Abnormal for Best Rock album, winning the Grammy at the 63rd Annual Grammys. How the fuck did last night not get nominated for they a did Grammy? Not, they did not win a Grammy or get nominated for anything. Up to this point, this is the only album that, as is The Strokes, they have won a Grammy That's or been nominated. That's fucking insane. Like, Casablanca's has won Grammys individually, like he won with Daft Punk. Yeah. But other than that, they had not been nominated as a group. Um, so this was the first time they actually won. That's fucking actually wild. Yeah, yeah. It's okay. I I I genuinely cannot believe that because I I think that uh, I think that their first album, like I like this album, but I think their first album has more more fucking yeah, tracks I mean, on it that I'm like into. You know, most people say their first album is their best album, which is totally fair. Yeah, 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 totally fair. But I'm like I'm like, what the fuck was nominated at that time? Like I'm guessing it was Nickelback, Creed. I'd have to look back and see, but sometimes in that early 2000s they had a real big thing of nominating like past artists like yeah. big artists in the the 80s and the 90s their new shit always got nominated yeah in, like, i bet it that was like i frame. bet it was like tommy lee's fucking yeah or like drum fucking band like weird shit got fucking nominated at that time they like because rock was in this transitional period yeah um where there wasn't a lot of huge massive bands that from that weren't from before yeah um like in the early 2000s that's when all the the bands, the big bands that were of the you know 2000s and the 2010s started making their imprint, obviously, because they came out at that time. But there wasn't any big, big rock bands from, like, you know. Oh, you know what I bet it was? I bet fucking, like, Limp Bizkit got oh, probably, nominated. Oh, probably. Ugh. Which uh, Rick Rubin also worked with Limp Bizkit, so there you go. Ooh, yeah. did he work with Korn? Uh, I don't know. That's one I'd have to look into. But he did work with Limp Bizkit, so. He, he did work with Limp Bizkit. Yeah. I shouldn't have brought that up because now you're just going to fucking go on and on and on and on. (laughs) Did he work with Alanis Morissette? No, he did not. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to Alanis Morissette you on fire if you don't (laughs) shut the fuck up, dude. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Okay. Receiving favorable reviews, an average score of 75% on Metacritic. Uh, Five out of five stars from the Times. Uh, uh, 4.5 out of five stars from all music 3.5 out of five from the rolling stones many critics view this album as a return uh to form for the strokes uh will hodgkinson of the times awarded the album five stars labeling it their second masterpiece following uh is this it 2001 he praised rick rubin's production as well as the band's overall sound saying that the strokes sound like a band again Heather Praise of All Music noted the new Abnormal marks the first time in a while that the Strokes have made truly exciting music. Mm -hmm. But not all reviews have been favorable uh, because critics are fuckfaces. Pitchfork gave the album a 5.7 out of 10 in a review. And Sam Sodomsky, Sodomsky, well, he's sodomizing (laughs) this fucking album. Uh, He mentioned that the album was sluggish and slight and the strongest hooks are so familiar that they require additional writing credits to the 80s hits they copy note for note. It went to number one on the Billboard Alternative Charts, number one on the Billboard Top Album Sales, number one on the Top Rock Albums, and peaked at number eight in the Top 200. Now, first of all, Fuck critics. Yeah. Most of the critics, I have to say, don't know their ass from their hands when it comes to music, <laughs> it seems. Because that's what I've been learning with all of this. It's like it's like you'll have something that gets great reviews or like an album that, you know, is undeniably good 
And they're like, no, I need to find something bad about it. So I'm just going to make something up. And yeah. Like, God, I hate critics. It kind of sounds like what we kind of do. <laughs> Not to be get, too, get too meta, we don't know a lot about music and we review albums. No, Aaron, it's different. <laughs> Not to get... It's different, Aaron. I think you literally just described what we do on the podcast. Aaron, our podcast is different. It's like people that don't know about music, they talk about music like they know about music. Aaron, this is different. Aaron, we are we have been upfront that we don't know anything about music. I know we have. But you people like it, dude. they like our candor. Uh, you literally just <laughs> you literally described it. <laughs> It just got really meta for me there. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just like, you're like, I fucking hate it. I'm like, well, dude, like, maybe look in the mirror. I'm self-loathing. <laughs> you know this about me. Sorry. <laughs> uh, let me regain, get, regain some control. Anywho. Uh, <laughs> whew. So, about the culture at the time, 2020, that was when COVID happened. Yeah, it was when COVID happened. Political unrest, George Floyd, uh, BLM protests, and more. Did you go to any BLM protests? I did not. Okay, I did. Uh, I did not. The one, no, there was did a, you, Sam? Hell there was yeah. a big one in Toronto, um, but I was a little COVID paranoid at the time. Yeah, fair. So, I did not want to catch COVID. I, um, I honestly thought I was going to die of COVID if I got it. Yeah, I, I literally, I drink, like, you know, now you look in hindsight and you can say, you know, it's, it was definitely, it's definitely real. It definitely happened. People definitely died. Um, But like the whole world shutting down and how paranoid and how the news was coming out, all the different stories and things like that. Like I got a little freaked out by the old COVID. So I got a little terrified too. I used to wear gloves and like I would double mask before going to the grocery Mm -hmm. store and I would wash all of the groceries that came into the apartment. Yeah, yeah. It was a I little... remember. I never washed groceries, but man, I like fucking. I remember I'd go to the grocery stores at weird times to avoid people and fucking. Mm. Yeah, I'd, like wearing masks outdoors, like that was strange too. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> fucking weird times, man. It was so weird. It like I know what so... I mean. Yeah, I mean everybody went through it, so it's not really like you a. Know what was happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You had no idea, and the fucking when it first came out, like it was craziness. Like you had, like you know, the whole world fucking stopped. Like. That'll probably never ever happen again. Like, I mean, not in our lifetime. Anyways. No, like literally, the whole world stopped. Like within like two days, suddenly everything was shut down. I fucking lost my job. There was like, oh, you're getting, you're just sitting at home doing nothing out of nowhere, man. It was craziness. That was fucking wild. It was literally like you look back at it and you're like, holy shit, that'll never ever happen again. Yeah. Uh, that was like the wildest thing I've ever experienced. That is quite literally the only time it will happen. Yeah. And it was fucking, it, it's kind of depressing looking back on it because like, I wish that I had taken advantage of the doing nothing a little bit more. That's all I did. <laughs> and I, I, I feel, I feel the opposite way. I, I was like, fucking, uh. I was like, fucking, I was like waking up at like three 30 and then going to bed at 7am. <laughs> like for no reason, dude I had no, like, I'd be like, I'm going to go like my big, like thing of the day. Be like, I'm going to go outside and go for a walk. <laughs> with, like my big, <laughs> Thing I'm doing today. It's like I'm going for a walk. <laughs> yeah, smoking the weeds, drinking the beers. I was drinking fucking beers. I'd go to the LCBO and I'd buy a flat of Lowenbrow. Ooh. So for the week I had 24 tall boys. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I'd sit at home and I'd play League. 
and I would fucking smoke spliffs and drink beer. And then I like that was like on repeat. Days melted into days. <laughs> yeah. It's weird that the entire world kind of became like that yeah. for a while. You yeah, know? and like at the time it was like awesome for like the first week. <laughs> Aren't you glad you didn't have any fuck trophies to deal with? What do you mean? Like kids? Oh yeah, that's true. Fuck like, trophies. I've never yeah. heard that before. Like I'm so glad that I didn't have to deal with kids yeah. at home. That would well, like imagine like to like Man, this beer really fucking hit me. This is a I, heavy beer. I took one sip, I cannot. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I barely even touched it. Dude, yeah. I have drank almost the whole thing and I am I'm keep, feeling it. Keep going. Let's get back I'm, on topic. <laughs> fuck. Holy shit. Okay, so uh yeah, not being able to see friends and family, all that shit. Um Yeah, I mean we don't really have to go into it. I feel like everybody said everything that needs to be fucking said. But the interesting thing about this album like they wrote it and titled it before covid happened which and is the, pretty crazy the new abnormal being the title when fucking everyone's like this is the new normal it's it's pretty funny that that that's the the title of the album so um it did kind of suit perfectly and he talked about it i don't think i put a quote in about it but he talked about it how it kind of organically ended up fitting the times really really well <laughs> he's like yeah that wasn't our intention but the, the title and the album itself kind of talks about you know things changing in life being different and you know how people per- perceive things and he was like yeah it kind of fit perfectly to what we were talking about so and the timing we were in so it was kind of nice yeah remember before the pandemic when you and i were walking down an alley and we found a couch for my new apartment yeah that was weird that also never happened again yeah yeah that, that- couch sucked dude you have <laughs> remember when you fucking wanted to take that leather fucking <laughs> This is the dumbest like this is the dumbest thing like Spencer has ever said to me. So we had this shitty fucking couch in our apartment when we lived together and it was fake leather and it was fucking peeling like you'd sit on it and it'd stick to your ass. Yeah. And Spencer was moving back to fucking Calgary and he's like, "I want to ship this couch. I want to take it with me." It was like the shittiest most beaten down couch that was fucking passed down probably from like eight different people. I mean, it was comfy to sit on. Yeah, it was okay, but you get up and you'd have leather stuck to your back and your ass. I could have gotten a couch cover. Yeah, I don't know. I think that was a bad choice. And you were like so set on it. And you're like, it's only going to cost me $700. Like, just buy a new couch. Fucking doofus. Like, <laughs> buy a new couch that's better for that price. Okay, let's get into our fun facts. Yes. Okay. So, uh, in October of 2020, mm-hmm. uh, on Joe Rogan. 2022. 2022. Yes. In October of 2022, Rick Rubin announced that he was on a mountain in Costa Rica recording a new Strokes album. Which is fucking insane. Yeah. I didn't know that there was mountains in Costa Rica. There you go. (laughs) It could just be like a, could be exaggerating. It could be a large (laughs) hill. But he, uh, yeah, they're making a new album together. So I thought that was cool. So that's going to be coming out, I'd say, probably within a year or so. I don't know if they've announced anything, but fucking new Strokes album, same producer. Hopefully they. What do you think it's going to be called? I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what how he predicts the future this time. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm hoping that it's like uh, nuclear war, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> World War Three, evisceration. Yeah. The final war. The final war. The final war. <laughs> Just putting it out there. Ah. Uh, we'll never know. We never Nothing know. Nothing trumps that. Mm. Ah. <laughs> uh. We're going to be in a Biden. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, though. <laughs> nice. Nice. I don't know. I don't know where to go from there. But. I don't know either. 
I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I would, it would be I'm trying to find something for Zelensky, but that's really difficult. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, uh, he's got enough press. We don't need to yeah, that's true. He's, Times man of the year. Dude, he's like, he's like the nurses of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> we should bang some pots to honor them again. <laughs> that was another weird thing that happened to COVID. Yeah, Seven well, o'clock. I, everybody bang your pots bang on your, your balconies. Pots for the nurses. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Like what a stupid fucking thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh it was my like, god, it was so fucking annoying. It was it, it, in Toronto, dude. They, at seven o'clock every night during COVID, people would go out and on in their, Calgary, yeah, on their balconies, and they'd hit their kitchen pots to honor the bang, nurses. Bang, 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 and it would be super fucking. And the loud. nurses, the nurses that have to work the fucking like <laughs> middle of the morning shift, they're trying to sleep. Like they're like, ah, oh, fuck, man, they gotta start at two a.m. Yeah. They're like, ah, oh, fuck me, dude. And everybody else that's uh, just in their apartment is like, why are you doing this? This is so fucking obnoxious. Yeah, the people would beat pot pots and honk their horns like seven o'clock every day another weird thing that happened in covid yeah Dude, I, I people are so fucking they're like weird. this brings us together i was like no it pisses me off no, it just really yeah. annoys me. <laughs> it's really high i guess yeah. <laughs> like, like this will bring everybody together i was like no it's just gonna piss everybody off um, okay should we get into the review of this album yeah so oh oh you got your, your fun fact yes so about the name of the strokes the the strokes got their name because it was the only name that they could all agree on <laughs> yeah <laughs> which is suiting for the band so yeah the strokes it's it should be the ego strokes with casablancas mm, nice yeah okay nice. uh Review of the album. So, on Misfits on Vinyl, the number one English-speaking music podcast in Chile, Chile. Uh, we always go through a review of the album where we talk about the technical element, the musical element, lyrics, reception, album art, and does it hold up. We do it out of ten for each of those, except for does it hold up. It's a yes or no answer. We kind of also have a maybe in there. Yeah, right? sometimes. We, yeah. Uh, okay, so. Kinda? Kinda? <laughs> sort of? <laughs> Um, okay, so technical element. I mean, Rick Rubin produced it. It's pretty fucking flawless, technically. Uh, yeah, like, I, there is some choices that, uh, like, some of the songs he condenses, like, the fucking synth on it really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't, I wouldn't say it's bad, but I'm not gonna say it's, like, the the best produced album I've ever seen. No, I um, would, I would probably put it at, like, an eight or so. Yeah, I'll give it, let's go seven and a half. Seven and a half? that's fair, yeah. All right, so, uh, musical element. Um, I like the dueling guitars, but I don't know if it, uh, like there was some parts of it, like when we were talking about like the synth, like there's, there's elements of that, that I was kind of like, yeah, on there. Um, like even the, the guitars, they're pretty simplistic in their chord progressions mm-hmm. and they're like, you know, it's not anything like groundbreaking. There are a couple that I really do like, um, like the wire Sunday so depressing the like yeah, that's yeah. a fucking good little little riff but i wouldn't say it's anything super super groundbreaking um like anything different which is i mean hard to do anyways but it's not you know i don't think it's the main point of why the album is good um i think they sound great all together yeah. um and it sounds cohesive but i don't think it's anything like super super crazy yeah so i would i would probably say like like six and a half to a seven yeah i was even i was even gonna go six <laughs> yeah like, six yeah, yeah like i'd say it's pretty mid all right so we're at a seven right now mm-hmm. altogether. so lyrics uh wow this is kind of a mixed bag because there's some songs where it's like really good and mm-hmm. there's some songs like the like you said bad decisions where it's 
really yeah. not. And some of it are like I'd have to I had to go back and actually look at the lyrics because when Casablanca is singing in his like falsetto and sometimes yeah. they alter his voice a little bit, you can actually can't actually and make that's out. where like I was always like when I when I was listening to it, I was looking at the music uh, or the lyric yeah. genius or whatever, right? So like I don't know. I would I would honestly like the the songs that are good on it, like that are really good, like like uh uh the adults are talking, why are Sunday so depressing? Like those ones have great lyrics, and then there's like uh Ode to the Mets and, and Bad Decisions where yeah. I'm like eh. At the Door I think is really well written. Mm-hmm. Um I do like that. Like it's pretty it's got a lot of metaphors in it and I I like that song. So I we could probably give him like a like a seven, I'd say is fair, or even a yeah. six and a half. I would say like a six and a half probably. So we're at like six point seven five right yeah. now. Uh, reception. It was received pretty fucking well. Yeah. I'd give it like an eight. Yeah, I mean, it won the Grammy for yeah. best rock album. It so, was kind of brought them back into the spotlight. So yeah, I'd I'd cool with an eight. Eight mm-hmm. works for me. So now we're at we're at a, a seven point two five album art. Album art's incredible. Oh, that's something we didn't talk about. Oh yeah. Um yeah. So the album art is uh, "Bird on Money" by Jean Michel Basquiat's. Um, he's a famous neo-expressionist artist, a street artist from the eighties. Um, him and Keith Haring kind of, um, revitalized the art scene in the early eighties. <laughs> I'm, I'm a really like really into this time period in art. Like I'm a big Keith Haring fan and I like Basquiat quite as quite a bit as well. He used to work with Andy Warhol. They did a collab project. Um, but this was actually a tribute to Charlie Parker, oh, cool. whose nickname was Birdie. So if you look at the album, Obviously, we have it in person here. Um, if you have a look at it, it's uh, yeah, it's a big bird in the middle. There's all sorts of different symbolisms. Uh, Basquiat's style is very interesting. Um, and guess who opened for Charlie Parker on a series of West Coast engagements? Let me guess. Uh, Chet Baker. Yeah. <laughs> it's all tied together. It's all tied together. Um, but yeah, they. Uh, that's a really cool piece that they chose to put as the cover. Um, I'm a big fan of his art. And kind of what he represented for the time. Um, so I thought it was a really interesting cover piece. And I think yeah. it's, I mean, it's a famous piece of art from a famous artist. And to get the rights to that to put on your album <laughs> probably costs some good, good yeah. amount of money. Now, okay, so I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Now, because like, okay, this is, this, is a, this is a bigger overall question for how we review things. But, okay, now when, when we... Uh, talked about Chet Baker's album, and we gave the lyrics a lower score because he didn't write them. Yeah. So because this is art that was already out there. um, I don't know if I agree with that because how many bands actually make their own fucking album covers, design their own album covers? They, they usually hire somebody to do that That's true. for them. Um, so I don't know if I can agree with with your your thought process but on this one. But the only reason I'm saying that is because like that we gotta have the standard of like if they didn't do it we can like do we review that separately from the artist or not? Um, well, I think you can review the art itself, but also how well does it tie into the album? Um, I think you can do both. Because there's, I'm sure there's lots of albums that have borrowed fucking famous photos or done things that are yeah yeah like I'm like so I don't know I think it's fine to to review this with the album and give it a good score because it's a nice piece of art. My question is like you gave Thriller a ten out of ten, but uh, what's his face Zimmerman shot it and like did it. Why why did that get a ten out of ten? Michael Jackson didn't do that. No, that's but that. but that was a part of that album right yeah now like the, the okay I, I i get what you're saying but hired somebody to 
Yes, but then we also like we talk about the technical elements, and we we when we're doing that, we're talking about the producers and the engineers and the work that they do. I'm curious too if they chose the album art after or before, and whether they drew inspiration from the album art itself Mm -hmm. for the album. That would also, I think, could make a difference as well. Because whether they chose it after or before, they like I think they probably had it in mind beforehand. Um, I mean, this it was painted in 1981 mm-hmm. so it's not a new piece of art i mean it's 40 years after the release of this album so you but know. it also is crazy because it looks like very fitting for the album yeah cover. that's why that's why i think you it's know. a really good album cover like like i i i, I didn't know the original piece well, like if i would ask you this like andy warhol's he did a banana cover for the velvet underground mm-hmm. for loaded not loaded there's a different now i forget the name of the album uh it's um Velvet Underground and Nico, it's a giant banana. And, okay. And it's like a painted banana, and that's an iconic piece of art on its own, and they use it in the album cover. Like, you know, there's a... Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't know if it's uh, it really affects the rating of the album, because if it's a good piece of art and they used it on their cover, um, if it suits the album, I think it, it suits the album. I think you can give it a good rating. So then my question is... Does that not apply to lyrics then? Um, if they're doing an album all of covers, I think I think they're two different things. I think you're, I think it's two different things, not in the same boat because you can't, like the lyrics. Yeah, they're not. We gave it a we we gave him a tougher. I gave him a tougher rating on his lyrics because they were not his own. And I guess we also for this album we didn't give him a great score on their lyrics either because they did steal harmonies and, or melodies yeah, yeah. and. Uh, but courses, but it was also like I mean I also think that just like bad decisions, even if they didn't steal it, that that song specifically would drop it down just because of the fucking yeah, repetition of but lyrics. I don't know. You know I hate repetition. <laughs> I think it's a tough one to to comment on. I I think it's different. I think it's different because the art is not a part of the music. It's a part of the you know it's a part of the album as a whole, but it doesn't mm-hmm. directly you know like I could listen to this album and never see the album cover. And be like, oh, you know, it's a still a good album. I still, you yeah, know, yeah. Where it's like, if I listen to the Chet Baker album, and like listen to the lyrics, and I recognize the song, be like, oh, like this is a cover. It kind of affects the the you know. It, he didn't. His hands aren't all all over the actual music compared to the cover. I don't think the cover is as big of a deal as the actual music itself. Okay. The actual lyrics. Okay. Um, if that makes any sense. Sort of. Yes. Okay. Like I get. I I understand what you're saying about it now. Like that. That I do understand. Because the uh, the the cover. Yeah. It's how they portray the album to people's eyes. But it doesn't affect the ears. The the album art though. The reason I think that like we do have it in the review is because like if you were at a record store, which like you know we like we like records. We like mm-hmm. the physical copies. If I was at a record store and I saw an album art, is it going to catch my eye enough to be like, I'm going to try something new? Yeah, that's true. And if I was like just walking through the record store and I didn't know this album, didn't know the strokes, but I did know Basquiat, I'd be like, oh, you know, this is yeah a Basquiat painting. It looks oh, like and It's Basquiat. also crazy that there's no writing on their album no, cover like no. at all like so it when you see that in a record store you're literally just looking at it's, it and seeing a bus what's yacht. interesting too is that uh come down machine the the record before this was literally just like a the the cover you, you look it up it's like a a very generic like a pressing cover for a vinyl it's like literally rca records the strokes come down <laughs> machine and it's red and that's all it is oh shit. yeah with like a little bit so it doesn't even look like an actual album cover so this is interesting that they went the whole different way with it yeah yeah um 
Fuck, that's crazy. They okay. do have some good album covers, too. I mean, they have a couple of really nice ones. Angles, I really like the album cover. It's cool. Okay, so yeah. album art, I'd probably give it an 8 out of 10, then. That I can agree with. Okay, give it an eight. so we're, we're up to a 7.75 mm-hmm. right now. Uh, okay, does it hold up? Yeah. I mean, it's it not just old. fucking <laughs> yeah, came yeah, out. It's not that old. Yeah. I think absolutely it holds up. So, uh, okay, so at 7.75 out of 10? Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, all right. Uh... Great. Well, fucking eight. That was a fun pod. Yeah, that was a fun pod. I, I don't like, I will say this, I don't like being the not researcher, I found out. Yeah, I, I, I think I think you were struggling this I episode. I was really struggling. I know. I was fucking like, I was. I didn't know what to do with my hands. See, my uh, my job is hard. Your job know. is hard. <laughs> we've, we've grown a new appreciation for each other. Today. Yeah, like I'm, uh, I'm the, I, I understand I'm the Opie of this podcast now. <laughs> I understand that. I need to be the one that has control over the fucking... Well, uh, I think I think you like it because you like to you can steer the conversation a little bit. Um, yeah, where you know I have a, enough general knowledge about who we're talking about and the topics to you know fill in and comment on yeah. what we're talking about. But I kind of had. Whereas know, I think I learn a lot each week. Yeah, you, you know, learn like a lot I, each week. Yeah. I think that I I think that I I I'll fucking I learn a lot each week, and I also look at. Because, uh, like, I'll I'll learn about albums that I'm really passionate about, mm-hmm. but I might not learn about the artist or, like, about the people that are, like, attached to it, right? Yeah. And so that's why, like, that's why I think, like, I love doing the research because I'm like, oh, shit, I get to, like, find out, like, all these connections between albums that I really like. And, like, oddly enough, a lot of our albums that we've talked about, there are so many crossover connections where mm-hmm. you're just like, shit, that's crazy. Which I feel like is just a natural thing of, of music in general. I mean... Like, look how many people we just listed off for Rick Rubin. Like, imagine yeah. how many albums we could touch on that he's had his hand on, dude. Like, I mean, we barely even dove into the, the our podcast yet. Like, I mean, we're, what, we're four months in, five months in. Like, it, yeah, we're three. Three months in. There the, you go. You know what I also realized? Our 12th episode is going to be our Christmas episode. Wow. And, 12 uh, days of Christmas. And we're going to do the 12 songs of Misfits. Misfits final <laughs> gave to me. <laughs> I've actually been writing something for that for the intro. Yeah, we got a Christmas special coming up. And I guess like uh, maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more in the Christmas special. But we have some really cool stuff happening yeah. in the new year. Uh, we're going to be bringing on some people to review albums with us. Yep. Some fans, some friends, some celebrities, some big fucking names. So I mean, we're 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 getting there, buddy. We're uh, we're doing it. Yeah, we're doing the and thing. And we might be doing some festivals next year. So. We will have some live shows, uh, which I'm excited about. But and yeah, we got some yeah. things we want to work on. Obviously, we want to do some merch. We want to, you know. So we're we're evolving. We're, we're fucking growing. We're gonna we're gonna Pokemon evolve. Yeah. <laughs> Roll Rafflecopter. And uh, yeah, thank. I mean, thanks everybody for listening, and thank you, Sam, for listening and doing the tech. Yeah. We appreciate you very much. Yeah. I feel like I need to give Sam a hug every episode. Sam a hug every for, episode for being so awesome and and doing such a good job we fight doing such a good job on the back end of things <laughs> what are you talking about sam <laughs> talking about this, this no dude we fight yeah we all fight. no we fuck yeah <laughs> we, we fight <laughs> yeah you yeah. oil us up you oil us up <laughs> yeah dude all right you act like you haven't done this before fuck. and, and with, with all that being said thank you so much for listening yeah we love you and guys. uh you. anal contusions 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Misfits on Vinyl, hosted by Spencer Streichert and me, Aaron Walsh, and of course produced by Sam Sam the Tech Man, Sam Lindsay. If you like us, please rate us, subscribe to us, share us. Our socials are Misfits on Vinyl Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. If you want to send us an email with any suggestions or criticisms, uh, we love that shit, so send it away. It's Misfits on Vinyl at gmail.com. We love you guys. Thank you.